Hi, and welcome to our Supporting Leaders in Education podcast. My name is Claire Boyle, and I'm the Events Manager for Witherslack Group, and I'll be hosting today's session, which will focus on the importance of mental health in schools. Now, it's the second podcast that we've done for Supporting Leaders in Education, and we're delighted to have some wonderful experts with us to chat and, and guide us through this topic. So if I can introduce our guests today, we have Professor Sean Duggan, who's the Clinical Advisor for Witherslack Group and Chief Executive of the Mental Health Network, and also Billy Smallwood, who is the Clinical Director for Witherslack Group. Thank you both so much for joining us today. So before we carry on with our questions, would you guys like to say a little bit about yourselves and tell us about your work? Uh, Sean, would, would you like to go first? Yes, yes, thank you very much. Yes, no, I'm just saying hello to my grandchildren. Grandchild has just popped in, so uh, excuse me for one moment. <laughs> hello. Uh, so, Sean Duggan, I've um, been in mental health for just over 40 years. I was a mental health nurse by background, and uh, I advise uh, governments around mental health policy. I've been particularly interested in child and adolescent mental health services for many years, and more latterly, the importance of mental health in schools. So, I'm delighted be on this uh, on this podcast and I'm a clinical advisor to with a slack as well okay over to Billy um, hello, my name has been said, Billy Smoyd, and I'm um, the clinical director for the Witherslack Group. And I'm relatively new to the organisation, having just arrived mid-COVID. Um, but um, I've obviously worked within children's services for other organisations for more years than I would like to uh, say out loud. Um, primarily working with children with um, developmental trauma and associated um, complex needs, both within education and um, residential settings. So, hello, everybody. Great. Okay, that, that that's great. Thanks ever so much. Right. So, um, shall we start with our questions for our topic, the importance of mental health in schools? The first question is, what is the link between good mental health and the ability to learn and flourish in schools? Um, who wants to go first? Billy, would you like to take it first? I can. Um, I think that it's more than a link, really. I mean, I think that the, the two have to go hand in hand for children to be able to access the opportunities for learning, not just academic learning, but the social learning that goes on and is, is offered by our educational settings. They have, have they have to have a sense of well-being. Um, without that and with additional mental health issues, their ability to, to as I say, to, to access opportunities are incredibly limited. Um, so, I mean, even without a formal diagnosis, children with heightened anxiety, um, uh, children with preoccupations of worries will find it incredibly difficult to open up, literally open their minds, if you like, to, to, to learn and to experience new things. Yes, so, so just to add to that, I think um, what I would say, if you look at this in its uh, simplest form, and, and COVID gives us um, gives us a real steer here. <clears throat> During COVID, and now we're well established to try and deal with this pandemic, everybody's been feeling uh, that more anxious. Everybody's been feeling a little bit more depressed. Uh, we've got quite a lot of emotional pressure going on just, yeah. just with COVID. So I think if you just sort of reflect on that, and then you were to 
add on something like, you know, focus and concentrate on your education. We all know that there's going to be an effect on the education achievement um, if mental health issues are, are prevalent, that they're there and they're not they're not dealt with. So that's in its uh, simplest form. I think the other thing about um, mental health issues is the causative factors behind it. You know, so when you think about what children, again, uh, particularly enhanced during COVID, uh, when children are uh, and young young children are dealing with the effects of the with their family with the COVID, when there's more yeah. uh, pressures within the family, when the parents are feeling more anxious and depressed, anyway, um, uh, the the issues of, of poverty uh, and low earners is a, is a massive issue. Will we know that there's a, an absolute direct link between? Uh, economic downturn and, and mental health issues and we are going to have started we have started the process of an, e- an economic downturn and the other aspect of course is schools so i know we're we're speaking to head teachers and teaching staff here yeah. the importance of paid work is is really good for your mental health so that's the positive side to this but um and, and i think the other the other link between uh, uh mental health and education is life chances the life chances of children yeah. are um, much, much significantly improved if you can treat a mental health problem early on, which is why government tries to uh, have started the process of putting some mental health services into schools um, in the in this new long term plan that we have. Great, th- thank thanks for that. Okay, so our second question is: um, What do you think are the biggest mental health challenges facing children in schools during this year? I mean, I think, do you want to take that? Oh, Billy, go on. I was just going to echo, really. I mean, obviously, COVID is, has been a yeah. blight for all children this year, hasn't it? And yeah, uh, continues absolutely. to do so. And, you know, in a very, very real way, in terms of children not being in school for months and um, a very unpredictable return to school in that children are in one week and then off the next because there's a bubble that's got a COVID uh, incidence in it etc so I I think you know the the impact of that this year is is you know is yet to be known actually I think as, as Sean was saying we we can kind of we're only now beginning to get some of the research about just how much it's impacted upon all children. And as Sean said earlier, particularly on children with, um, with known um, uh, mental um, health issues. Um, so I, I guess it's, and the impact really is of, of the COVID is around, as we were saying, not just the, the academic side of it, the whole sense of a child's going through their normal development of, yeah. of, of, belonging and um, friendships and uh, you know all those opportunities to raise their self-esteem in schools even the normal things that are we know are critical to healthy child development have been either put on hold or severely interrupted this year mm-hmm. um, primarily from COVID as, as we said um, yeah I, I, and key I think will be the the uh, the separating of relationships you know how they have been severed through this process yeah um and you know children have not had endings of you know children have gone to new schools without saying goodbye to their old schools um they've turned up in new schools knowing no but you know there's lots and lots of different 
uh, effects of 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 the pandemic that is you know very critical to or, or particular sorry to children and their relationship with schooling yeah so I, I think just to add to that, I do think that the relationships issue, the relationships with the school and education is important. Relationships with one another is vitally mm. important. Um, where relationships break down, it is often the cause of a particularly mild to moderate mental health issue like depression or anxiety. And often my, my sort of top tip of this uh, podcast for staff that are listening to it and uh, parents and to just you know maintain your relationships invest in your relationships it's particularly important now during covid because as as billy says they're being severed and we're not able to see people as much and and really you know we're all geared up to get a look we get a lot of fulfillment from that and a lot of satisfaction from that and well-being and that so that's hard to put that on children particularly when they have their social you know their children's friends are massively important to them i know they're seeing been able to access that during social media and, of course, during school as well. But there are real pressures. So the, the sort of top uh, challenges are uh, depression, sadness. Um, again, during COVID, of course, people have lost their loved ones. You know, sort of children yeah. have lost their grannies and granddads and what have you. And, uh, you know, not, not to scale, but it's there. You know, you can speak to most families now and they've been touched by COVID in one sense, in one form or another. So there's the bereavement issue, loss and bereavement that we're we're having to get a bit probably a bit more familiar with. The other thing about mental health is where you have uncertainty, uh, where unpredictability and uncertainty, and we've clearly got that now with you know tiers one, two, three, national lockdown. How long yeah. for? When can we when can we go on holiday? That really does affect people at any age, any age where you get it just adds to the anxiety. So that is a, a sort of major factor going forward. And the last two points is the importance of physical activity, particularly for children and young people, on your mental health well-being is vital. And we understand, don't we, that some of the um, informal sporting um, arrangements are, are, are being cancelled and um, there's more restrictions on sort of physical activity because of this lockdown. And I know schools schools have got a fantastic um, opportunity there to 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 seize that opportunity because it's really important for for everybody the the physical activity and then lastly um where you have a bit of pressure or anxiety where children don't get a good routine and sleep sleep is vitally important for good mental health well-being so where we can uh you know encourage a good routine so um uh, and people listening, we all need our sleep you know so that yeah. uh, it's a big factor and it's well researched you know if you get a poor sleep patterns for a period of time um mental health uh it, it will it will impact on your mental health well-being okay thank you very much okay so question three what guidance would you give for professionals given the current situation with covid and supporting mental health in the classroom yeah i i mean i sean started to sort of outline some of the key areas yeah. really didn't he but um i think I think the main thing is to to hold on to the sort of um, developmental or the sort of tiers, really. I, I'm thinking that what what we shouldn't do is suddenly get anxious that children have missed out on their academia and go hard on academia quickly. Let's catch them up on their maths. Let's catch them up on their English or, or whatever it is that we we perceive that they may have missed out on because before we even begin to do any of that academia work we need to go right back to helping our children have a sense of well-being in our schools 
having a sense of safety in our schools and trying to counteract the um, impact of COVID and the time away from school. And that's that's got to be achieved before we can think about academia, if you like. So I think schools really need to think about um, some planned approaches to um, promoting well-being in the in their children and young people. Um, there's lots of lots of help out there to do that. Um, there's some great uh, advice from places like the Anna Freud Centre. Um, there's some lovely projects, um, five ways to well-being model that I know that we're we're um, following in, in some of our schools in the Witherslack group. But but all of those really really do take us back to the emotional um, platform, if you like, that we have to re-establish first with our children before we can think about, as I say, how we catch them up on their academia. So so that would be my advice to any school, really, that that should be the, the whole team's focus, the focus for the staff, the focus for the children, start to share experiences, start to try to provide some regular routines, some structure that we've desperately missed out on, yeah. some predictability, and build in some of those um, uh Things that, that, again, that we know will help ground children and help them feel safe. So we can think about um, how we start to to recondition their minds to being back in a classroom and, and how to start to learn to sit still again at a desk or, you know, some of those real basic fundamentals that we may have to revisit and relearn. Um, you know, that there's lots of creative ideas about there of how we can help children uh, re-establish themselves as a belonging to to the school that they've that's a place where they feel they belong that they feel welcome that they can come and they can engage um they can express themselves that's a place of safety um and and we we know that we can also bring in things to as i say to counteract some of the impact so so let's let's you know we know our children are are, are going to struggle to regulate so let's bring in lots of regulating activities let's bring in movement breaks let's bring in mind breaks brain breaks i think is the is the term now that's out there so i think you know classes and and teachers can be really creative um and until we do that until we reestablish a sense of uh well-being safety um self agency for our children you know we're not going to achieve those other things yeah yeah, I, 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 that's great. I mean, and uh, that, that's uh, uh, absolutely right. And there is some fantastic resources. The, the great thing about this, because I know you're all really busy people, um, but uh, and and you'll you'll want to get you'll want to get the best opportunity to get this right. I know that uh, when you Google, you know, mental health guidance for schools, um, it, it's brilliant. And there's some really good information there. And it's mostly evidence-based. If you stick to, as Billy says, the Anna Freud Centre, Place to Be Young Minds, the NHS website's absolutely fantastic. It's all evidence-based. You know, this is, this is, I, know, I know this because before my current job, I was running a think tank and research institution in, into mental health. And I, I was there at the, at the start and during uh, building up the evidence base, um, and the other thing for, for the head teachers there and, and, and governing bodies, that where you can get what we call mentally healthy schools, where you have a, a whole process within a school of helping uh, mental health well-being of the children, the return on investment is 
you know, whether you see it all, but the return on investment is very high. So it's uh, not only the right thing to do, the good thing to do for children's life chances, but it also has a, a, a real economic sense to it. Um, at its simplest, I think the guidance is really is just... Yes, yeah, to step back, it's to talk and listen, talk and listen. That's we've learned that over. It's not yeah. it's not rocket science, is it? But we've learned that over the years uh, for anybody. Um, just to have the ability and the chance to talk through. It's hard for some children, of course, because they may may not be in the environment where that's you know um, done a lot at home or whatever. But uh, it is about talking. And what children tell us, young people tell us, is that it's okay to give me the chance to talk, but you must listen. Yeah. Parents and school people, they don't listen, you know. And I know they'll, they'll have their own perception of not being listened to. But mm. it, And when you're running busy classes with all sorts of other priorities, I understand this is really quite difficult but of course it just helps everybody and you'll get a better class there's um there is this model called mentally healthy schools and uh, um anna freud and um the nhs website and it's just a it's a cultural approach to and i think that's the best guidance have a quick look at the the, the sort of ingredients of mental health. a lot of you are doing this what i see a lot of schools are doing this and the uh, money in the mental health long-term plan which is backed up by government over the next five years there is some investment there for schools and some of you are enjoying that little bit of that investment now this is evidence-based and it's it's all about like billy says all teams should be sort of focused in on this and there has to be top level commitment so that the head obviously the head teacher and the, the governing board um would look at this and, and it's just it's you know are there written policies is it written into the schedule that time is put aside for talking about mental health well-being the importance of physical mental health well-being doing your bit to reduce the stigma etc fortunately if we were having this discussion five, six years ago, it would be much more challenging because the stigma is, you know, the stigma is still pretty high. Um, it's getting a lot better now. So I think we've got the right environment. And again, COVID has put the focus onto people's yeah. mental health, uh, particularly children, young people. So let's take that opportunity. And I, I think it's... Sorry, sorry, I was just going to add the, just something to the, the talking and listening, listening, because I was thinking... That also, and certainly for a lot of the children and young people that, that we live and learn with the Witherslack group, talking is, is not something that's coming very easily for a lot of them. So I think it's also about observing and listening, isn't it? And, and yeah. observing children's play, observing children's physical um, communications to us um, so that we, we really do need to be observant to all those tiny cues, if you like. Um, I, I think absolutely if we can help children find the words for these things. Um, however, in a way, if they have got those words, I'd be less worried about them um, because they can engage in, in, in making sense of, if you like, in finding some rationale perhaps. But for many of the, of the children and young people, as I say, we live and learn with, it, it's very much about us being curious, being keen to, to see and find out so that we can be alongside them and, and, and support them when needed. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that it, it's, it's all very well for people like me saying that, you know, we need to have mentally healthy schools. But this is really difficult when you've got awful lot of other pressures as well. And you need help. You know, we, we were, when we were devising uh, improvement in mental health in schools, we knew that teachers, head teachers, are under a lot of pressure. You'd, and we can't, we don't look, you know, we, we, there are clinical specialists that need to be on, that need, that need to help, you know. So when somebody's got um, 
is bordering, a child is bordering a, a diagnosable mental health, but you need help and you need people to refer on to. And I know a lot of you have got refer on, referring on two routes, um, but the statutory services are as well under a lot of pressure. And I know if you need child and adolescent mental health services, it's difficult to access it. That's not to say you don't try, because you have to try. We, we, we need, uh, you, you, the child or young person will need specialist treatment if they require it so it has to be there and again government is trying to put some investment into making that uh, to improve that over the next few years but i know there's a lot of pressure uh, now for access to it but uh, we you know we certainly the, th- the theory has to be right you have to have that help and we can't just expect schools to be able to do all this because you can't you need help from the statutory services and that's mental health and nhs trusts yeah. in the main Okay, yeah. Okay, thank you. Right, our next question is, what would your advice be to create a good learning environment whilst promoting positive mental health? Who wants to go first? Billy? <laughs> and I was thinking it's starting in the environment, really. Yeah. That, that's the first impression, isn't it? That's the first thing that is seen and felt by both children and, and the staff that support them. Um, you know, it, it, have a look. What what is it? Does it is it a friendly, welcoming place? Is it, does it offer warmth? Is it child centred? Uh, does it does it scream out? Come and come and learn and be curious with us. Come and enjoy. Come and play. You know what opportunities hit you in the face when you first walk into to a school uh, environment, and and then within that environment. How does it recognise the many differences that our children bring with them in terms of of their their well being? Do we have um, you know big spaces, little spaces, snug rooms, uh, sensory rooms, large outdoor spaces, climbing space? You know, and I and I think it's again thinking about how we use our whole environment to support uh, in the issues we've been describing already today. You know, to support the, the emotional well-being of all children that, that, that are learning in our in our settings um, and I think that provides then if you like the context for everything else that we can do to support but um, but so much can be gained from that positive environment and again it's an evidence base isn't there we know our environments uh, you know can do such a lot to to how we feel about ourselves and and the world around us Good. I have nothing really much to add other than that the the uh, power of leadership. You know, where you have uh, any organisation where they have at the top, they have a, a commitment to this uh, and and some guidance or a set of, a set of policies that um, that the school and the school ownership uh, owns. Then it's much more it will it's much more likely to happen. Where you don't get yeah. the commitment from the top, it may not. Um, and I think add a bit of fun into it because uh, a, a lot of this is to. You know, there's a lot of seriousness in the world at the moment, and, and the pandemic has, has uh, focus, put the focus on that. But it is to step back and try and have fun. And, I, and the teaching staff and head teachers that I know are very good at that, to be able to in, in, include that. And it's really important for well-being, humour, fun, and just uh, to have a laugh from time to time. Yeah. OK, so I've got uh, question number five now. What would be your checklist for supporting mental health in the classroom? I suppose that's... Who wants to go first, Sean? 
Yeah, so I think uh, we're sort of getting to the stage now where recovery covered quite a bit already. Yeah, I was just we? thinking, so, we sort of yeah. just gone through all uh, that then, didn't and, we? And, 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 I, and I think what might, so um, there are brilliant checklists uh, with the resources we've talked about um, for, from people that are, you know, so I, I, I could, I'll have a checklist from a mental health perspective, what's important, and that's time and to be able to talk and to be able to listen um, and, to, and to have specific time to address uh, and uh, have discussions around mental health well-being and physical uh, well-being too. But of course, te- the specialist teachers, head teachers, you know how you're running the schools, so you'll know what sort of checklist is important for it to work in your schools. And it probably should be done locally. Having said that, the resources are brilliant. So if you just uh, look at the Anna Freud uh, NHS website, there's checklists there, uh, and some of that we've covered already. Yeah. Billy, have you got anything you want to add at all? or Not without preempting another question, I think, because uh, <laughs> one of the things I would certainly um, start with my toolkit, really, is to uh, think about the staff. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I know we're going to come on to that. So we'll, I- we'll come to that, yeah, shortly. Yes, okay. So uh, on to the next question then. What are the key considerations for supporting staff for mental health? Okay, well, there we are. <laughs> on to that one now. Yeah, too um, I guess, you know, there are, that is key, isn't it? That um, We mentioned leadership. Absolutely, but, yeah. But to, to achieve all of those things we've outlined as being critical for our children, we, we have to have um, the staff team, our, our educators, that also feel um, a positive um, emotional and mental health. Um, and again, for me, I would just mirror that the list we had for our children needs to be mirrored for our staff teams. I think one of the things that's, that's, I think, different about our COVID crisis is that it has crossed the boundary very um, intrusively between one's personal and professional life. So as much as it is a, a, an issue for us as professionals, as for the teachers out there uh, to, to challenge them and to, to get across, it's also challenged everybody very personally, yeah. whether that's concerns for their own um, well-being or their relatives, their own childcare, their own financial situations. So it's 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 one of those fortunately not too often um, times where the two have collided, um, and so this is a critical time really where we really do need to to support the well-being of of the teachers so that they can in turn support the well-being of, of our children and young people. So I, I would be very much um, looking to see how, how we can practically do that within the school setting. You know, in the same way as we're looking at the environment for our children, what's the environment for, for our educators? Do they have a breakout room where they really, really can go and get a few quiet moments without an interruption from the children, if you like? Um, do we think about how we can nurture them in, in symbolic ways, you know, actually, are, are we are we still thinking about, you know, the tea and coffee and biscuits and, and things available to, to them through, through their lunch or through their um, planning breaks? Or are we enabling them to have opportunities for uh, expressing how they feel? Are we offering mentorships? Are we offering reflective practice sessions where staff can go and genuinely share the emotional impact of, of you know, the, the working a, a, with 
the children in these particular times. You know, a lot of our children will express their anxieties and their troubles in in ways that will really challenge uh, us and uh, having a resilience to those challenges, to try and not take those personally, to not let those knock us off course, um, is needs working at and it needs topping yeah. up each each week, if you like. And it's, it's part of all of our roles, I think, to really see if we can keep those um, frontline teachers really topped up with positive... Uh, thinking and feelings of of well being and their own safety. Um, so, I, and I'm, yeah, there's hundreds of ways out there, and, I, and I'm sure you know much more creative ideas than I've just mentioned. But I think it's just ensuring that we hold that as a paramount need, and we do everything. And it's those little things, those little gestures of making sure we say thank you, making sure we say good morning making sure we note when somebody's done something that little bit in addition and really taking notice to the communications from our colleagues when they're finding things a little bit tough that week and responding and listening in the same way as we, we really wished it for the children. Yeah, just, uh, Billy just reminded me there of the, of the importance of thank, uh, saying thank you and uh, it's been decent to people, um, your mm. colleagues, uh, even though you may, may be under under pressure. It reminded me of a story about the chief executive of uh, Mind, Paul Farmer, uh, when he was doing some work on this. He said that uh, one of my main tips is when you say good morning um, in, the, in the morning, we say good morning, how are you? Um, how often do we just say good morning, how are you? And we just say it, but we don't listen. You know, we just go off and put, put, we log on or go and do something. Um, this checking in is, is really good with your colleagues at work, you know, just how I, and listen. And if you can, if you can promote that, it's got to come from the top again, but if you can promote the ability for staff to just talk, you know, spend a bit of time. It's just really, really useful time. The return's massive uh, about how you're feeling because at the moment we're all feeling a little bit. It's a little bit more pressure, doesn't it? Uh, and life could be quite complicated. But so I think um, we now know that the importance we now know beyond any reasonable doubt why we should invest in staff and there was a wonderful report a few years ago called thriving at work for those of you interested in this just google thriving at work it was done by a banker and paul farmer chief exec of mind commissioned by Theresa may who said that i think we we, 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 we don't um, deal with our staff we don't look after our staff our, our workforce across the sectors in the UK enough and uh, what's the cost of this and they got Deloitte's in and Deloitte's did their uh, ec- economics work and the cost of poor mental health well-being in the workforce across the sectors you know this is the commercial sector education health whatever uh, is a hundred billion pounds per year is lost to the economy and this is huge um, and, it, and it isn't it's not the biggest cost isn't absenteeism the biggest cost is presenteeism and that will be in schools whereby people stay at work with a mental health issue like a depression or anxiety because they're too frightened or they just don't want to bring it to anybody's attention just carry on you know soldier on and yeah. uh, that's presentism, and these are big, big costs. So that's um, just the financial reason why I do it. What's interesting now is banks and commercial organisations are all investing in mental health well-being of, of the workforce. Health service, embarrassingly for people like me, 
was probably one of the worst at it. We didn't look after our staff well enough. Uh, we, we're just getting to grips with it now properly and, pu- and putting some investment into it because uh, the return is very important. Um, so the importance of checking in, uh, in in the morning during the day with your colleagues. Uh, leader, uh, I think it's the leadership style. I, if I recall the leadership style I would say was in the health service a few years ago. I don't know if it chimes with education, but we put the health service under huge pressure for targets, uh, meeting financial targets, access targets. And there was a bit of a bullying and a harassment culture from regulators uh, and from organisations outside. And that had a bit of a culture within the NHS. So people were put under a lot of pressure and um, mental health well-being was poor and people were going off more more presentism. We've really, really changed the culture of that and, and uh, uh, it, it's phenomenal effects, um, you know. Uh, and we need it now because, you know, for the, for the health workforce to be able to yeah. offer you the help in schools, uh, yeah. we've got to have the people, uh, the nurses and the doctors uh, and, and support workers to be able to do that. Um, and and for, for teachers and staff, you know, uh, just... Um, look after each other but look after yourself as well uh, and uh, yeah. and it, it's not you know the sort of principles are you make sure you look after your physical well-being have your downtime from a busy day at work obviously you know uh, work, work your routine about about when you're doing some work at home uh, from a busy day you know don't spend all day doing that your relationships are really important give out to people family and friends invest in a bit of time there because it will help your mental health well-being uh, drink moderately and and stay away from any recreational drugs. Drugs. A lot of people are, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of self-medicating. If you like, during the pressures of COVID, uh, it's the wrong thing to do. It's it is about good physical well-being. Look after your sleep, and and your and your physical well-being will have uh, direct consequences to better mental health well-being. And it's just a lot of basic things you can do to look after yourself as well. Yeah. I think there's probably with the the next question that we've got, there's probably going to be some crossover of things that we've already discussed, but I'll I'll read it out um, to see if there's anything else we want to add. So the next question is, what would your advice be for professionals who themselves are struggling and need to invest in their own mental health? Don't hesitate, maybe. Yeah. I I think, as we were saying, I think the temptation is, is... to somehow convince ourselves we've got to keep going. Yes, like you were saying, Sean, the soldier on sort of thing, yeah. And I suppose when we really stop and think about how dangerous that is, actually, for everybody involved, not just yourself and your own well-being, but but our tolerance will be reduced, our ability to, um, to, to respond to the challenges we face rather than react to them um and and that worries me a lot particularly if if we are you know for teams working with uh lots of trauma or um difficult presentations from children as we say and and behaviors that may challenge us quite um extensively our ability to just stay with those in a helpful, thoughtful way with our children, if we're not looking after ourselves, becomes dramatically reduced. And that runs the risk of us, as I say, reacting and finding ourselves being very unhelpful in our response to children, whether that's saying the wrong words. And sadly, for some, that may be to respond in a physical way um, that, that, of course, is, you know, is a 
an end gamer, isn't it, for both mm-hmm. you know that that staff member and the children or whoever else is involved in that. So it's kind of a it, it's got to happen. We have to. Our professional responsibility is to to make sure that we are. Uh, fit, if you like, fit for, yeah. for the challenges ahead. And that does mean looking after ourselves quite, you know, in a very, probably in a very rigid way, actually, making a very conscious effort to to make sure we, we, we heed some of the guidance that, that Sean was, was sharing with us there. Yeah. Yes, I think that's great. So I think it is um, get get uh, get help. And there's different levels of help. I mean, I think, um, you know, you use your friends and family, the, the, the most therapeutic thing is, is you know when you've got a problem is is to talk to somebody that you love about, yeah. Yeah. yeah chat about it and uh, and there are people that find it really difficult you know if, if i've got a problem everybody knows about it that's what my uh, circle of friends and family tell me um, but i sort of learnt that over the years and of course on a serious note men are uh, um a loss a, an awful lot less um a bit able to and, and naturally willing to talk about their own emotions and, and uh, difficulties and what have you. So, yeah, and actually, we did have a, a spike in uh, in attempted suicides for sort of young men fairly recently. We've got to be very careful of that. You know, people need to talk about it and, and need to be able to. And it, it's not a there's, there's no room for macho style type mm-hmm. uh, self care here. You know, we, we're all under pressure. We do need to be able to talk about it. So the first level is your sort of friends and family and, and people at work. I'm a great uh, fan of mentorship. I, I believe mentioned this. Uh, we do it a lot in the, in the health uh, world, whereby you know, not necessarily paid formal arrangement, but you have somebody outside the line management arrangements where you can talk about um, it, completely confidential issues that are troubling you. And you know, when you think about um, causes of mental health issues, uh, what service users will tell us is um, where there's difficulty. You know, where, where if you you, you need somewhere to live, a home, a safe, loving home. You need paid work and you need your relationships intact. And often um, where you've got conflict between a manager and a staff member, that often is, is the root of a problem. And mentorship's good for them to be able to sort of help with that because it's it's there. It does happen. But we need to try and uh, improve on that. And, of course, when teaching staff, um, school staff need help, there's probably... Uh, occupational health systems or something similar the way you can get access to a bit of help um, if if there isn't there's still help and if you do need um, you know you, you, you've tried various self-help um, measures then go and seek help and and we made a big mistake in health in lockdown number one somehow the message got out that NHS was closed for business because it was dealing with COVID. That was nonsense. In the mental health, yeah. we should never have got that message out. And now the NHS is open. If people need help, they need help. If you need help in a crisis, um, there are so many effective, decent crisis lines. But if you need help, go to your GP and your GP must respond. GPs are getting trained in mental health now. The experience ought to be better. You often find that most GB practices have, psych- uh, you know, what we call IAP psychological therapy attached to the practice. Counselors that can do psychological therapy. The evidence for any um, depression or anxiety, and in quite a lot of cases, more severe mental health issues as well. Psychological um, therapies are effective. They're very, very effective for you know fairly severe depression. 
you can treat that in uh, six, seven sessions if it's done properly and if it's receptive to that form of treatment. Uh, help is there, it's available. And, uh, and there's absolutely, it's a, it's a positive, credible thing for you to do to go and seek help because you know, it benefits you and your family and yeah. you're looking after your children. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, in these uncertain times, when things in the classroom might not be, you know, uh, as as positive or as perfect as we would like them to be, how can staff maintain that sort of aura of of calm and and, and confidence? <laughs> I think Who wants to go first? <laughs> I mean, I think in a lot of the ways that we've already been talking about today, yeah. really, that that is by really focusing on on themselves. And I think um, there's a lot of talk about mindfulness at the moment yeah. there. But I guess you know whatever we may think of that, and whatever prejudgments we may have of it, some of those very simple techniques of regaining our breath patterns, um, just just you know, re-engaging with ourselves, I think can really help give a calm to, to our to our bodies, which in turn will give calm to our minds. And and the other thing I, I have always encouraged anybody working, um, well, just anybody really actually, is to develop a pause button. Um, and having your pause button and pressing. Um, even if it's just for a little moment, maybe while you do a little mind technique or whatever but but I guess what we all need when we're working with people in particular is to is to have our pause button and to make sure that we breathe we, we pause then we can respond and not react so good I, I quite relax there with Billy's uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. staring at me it's very good yeah. I, I was just thinking on this um I, I've been glued to CNN over the last few days. Uh, I'm not sure uh, that would be calm. No, no, no. And, and, <laughs> no. and, and one of the things, that, I don't know if you've been watching, but one of the things that CNN do is that they, it is absolutely, you're quite right, but it's not calm. And uh, when an advert comes up, I think at the end they have this 30-second calm, they call it, mm-hmm. and they just show a beach or uh, uh, horses riding you know, beautifully in, in, a, in a lovely uh, estate or something. And it, I, I really, I, God, I, I needed it, you know, just to calm down with all yeah. the excitement from the election stuff. So all these things do work. Mindfulness is good. It's, it's a big evidence based on mindfulness. And, uh, and it, it, again, there's loads of products, some of, the, some of them free. You, you can go to and my, people. Some people love mindfulness groups. Um, my wife certainly benefited from that. Um, or individual mindfulness techniques. It does. It is good. It does work. Um, so I certainly would recommend uh, that I, I just sort of, sort of thinking about how, how what teachers could do when you know you've got all these pressures and everything. I think the other the one thing is Billy's made it, tolerance. You know, uh, you're not superhuman. You know, you will do your best with managing the school with all the different issues that you've got, particularly during this time uh, when things you know don't stick to that, whatever. It's something that doesn't go quite. You know, be tolerant. You know, don't beat yourself up. You're doing the best you can. 
where you can inject a bit of humour and a bit of fun. That's often a, quite a good little uh, trick. And, um, you know, we, we talk about resilience. And actually, the interesting... Uh, well, I, resilience is important. Resilience, for me, it's about just spending... that, Like Billy says, spend the time looking after yourself so you can cope with all these pressures when you're going into work. Because you owe it to the children and the families, don't you? And you, we all know this, and you know this better than me. Um, but... We've got to be careful with resilience. We can't expect people to be resilient because then you get into this sort of macho thing of it, you know, just sort of, um, you, you know, you cope with it, cope with it. No, actually, uh, we've all got our own limits and a supportive environment where head teachers and school managers, you know, are, are, are understanding of the pressures that you're under um, and have a compassionate leadership style that's empowering and it's inclusive is, um, is, is really important. On the one last thing on the importance of staff, and uh, we, we just need to be aware that uh, we know that during COVID and, and, and in mental health, people from the BAME community are more predisposed to certain things. So, unfortunately, with people with severe mental illness, uh, it, we've had this very shameful situation whereby there is so much over-representation of people from black and minority ethnic communities in in sort of um, higher-end mental health world, which is, we're still trying to work out what on earth that's all about. And also people from the LGBTQ communities um, are more uh, prone to mental health issues, sometimes get less, less access to the mental health issues. These are a, a tricky situations but you know uh, for school policies I know you do but uh, think about that uh, less inclusive groups you know uh, LGBTQ uh, and BAME communities because we, um, we we owe that to staff as well Yeah I, I, I was just thinking of, of two words really which is uh, be kind and be forgiving yeah. and, and I think that's to apply to yourself as much as as your colleagues and you know children and families isn't it that, that yeah. you're right it's we've got, we can only be good enough to quote win a clot you know and and when we somehow think we're not quite good enough you know be kind and and, and be forgiving yeah okay so we're on to our final question now and I must apologise if you hear any noise in the background there's suddenly some drilling happening from next door so I do apologise for that and um, so our final question where does the school's responsibility start and stop when supporting a child's mental health? Who would like to take this first? So, so Billy, shall I, shall I, well I, I think it's a really good question isn't it and, and you know in the one sense as in the mental health world we say mental health is everybody's responsibility uh, but that only goes so far and of course it's right to say that mental health is everybody's responsibility because I mean you know I, I worked in, for many years at the Department of Health when we were putting all these policies out on mental health and, and, and we just assumed it was the mental health part of NHS that would do all this and then we thought well hang on a minute what about um, offenders in the community uh, under the criminal justice, they're much more predisposed to mental health issues. Whose responsibility is that? Well, of course, it's the Department of Justice and Department of Health. The same applies for education and mental health. It's, you know, both organisations play a part. And the, the good news is we do. Uh, you know, I hat off huge appreciation for education staff over the years that have embraced this issue of uh, getting more involved in in, in, um, in the mental health well-being of parents, teaching staff and children. But, you know, ultimately, 
where you've got some a child or teacher or whatever with a uh, a significant mental health issue you it's a it's responsibility of uh, the NHS England Department of Health and they route money down into um, community trusts and mental health specialists, mental health NHS trusts. So so it's, it's okay to say it's everybody's responsibility and there's an element of truth in that. But when it comes to properly providing clinical help, you know, um, some schools I, I've seen, uh, you know, that they're, they, they're bringing in their own sort of clinical support but you need help from the statutory organizations and and that's what that's how it's set up and it isn't right for us in health to say well there's too much of a waiting list in cams and we've got to think beyond that and work out well how can we reduce the waiting list i have to say there's been some tremendous work over the last few years about we used to think it was just all child and adolescent mental health consultants specialist consultants the role of nurses the role of occupational therapists and support staff is really good and we're getting better at that so i think there's more availability and it will only improve as the next few years go tick by because there is real investment going into it it's not enough but there is investment going into it so i think those are the sort of the main headlines i would say on that one billy do you have you got anything you want to add to that at all uh, no I, I mean i completely agree with with, with sean I, I guess the one thing that we have within our school settings i suppose is that we do have the ability to be proactively um supporting well-being so we may if we do all the things we know are really important the things that we've been talking about today the things that yeah. educationalists know are fundamental for child development and children to develop into healthy adults if we if we do all that then then our contribution will be to reduce the amount of children who end up with significantly um significant mental health diagnoses um so so that is a very special place i think uh, our schools can are in and yeah. a special role that we can play yeah oh well Thank you ever so much to both of you for your time today. That That's all of the questions, unless you've got anything else that you would like to add at all at the end. Just thanks to everybody for, yeah. um, you know, continuing on. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, uh, I mean, and th- thanks to all the listeners as well for, for joining us and stuff. Go on, Sean, sorry. No, 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 no. I mean, and, and it was really just, you know, you know thanks and uh, uh, good, good luck and um, look after each other and yourselves as we yeah, go forward. look after yeah. each other, definitely. I liked what you said before, um, Billy said about, you know, just making sure we're being, we're, we're conscious of being kind to everybody else, but also about being kind to ourselves as well. We do sometimes, like, forget about that, don't we? So, yeah, I think that's a, a good point to sort of finish on as well and um, yeah so thank you ever so much to um sean and billy for, for your time today and for the listeners who've joined us um next month's topic is going to be about blended learning which um will be you know a particular topic of interest at the moment i think um if you're listening to this you're probably already signed up to our support and leaders in education series which is all about providing advice and support for head teachers senior leadership team members and all teaching profession professionals but if not you can visit uh, uk forward slash webinars and you can register so that you receive details about future topics um but yeah thank thank you once again to to our speakers and our listeners and i hope that you can join us for another podcast in the future thank you goodbye thank you goodbye